Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Jürgen Lawson. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Anita Lim, who is a Senior Research Fellow at School of Cancer and Pharmaceutical Sciences at King's College London. And the paper is Non-Speculum Sampling Approaches for Cervical Screening in Older Women, a Randomised Controlled Trial. Now, we know that inadequately screened women aged 50 and older are at disproportionately higher risk of cervical screening and dying from it. But of course, speculum use is a major barrier to cervical screening. And I started by asking Anita to to tell us a little bit more about the underlying evidence on the barriers to screening, and particularly the use of a speculum. And then to talk a little bit about how self-sampling fits into that as well. So you've already hit the nail right in the head there. And we already know that the speculum use for cervical screening is one of the key barriers to actually attending cervical screening. Because so many women find that speculum either uncomfortable or painful, or they've actually got a fear of of having um, the speculum examination altogether. Um, And this is one of the key reasons why women don't come in, particularly with older women. We find that we had assumed that older women, once you hit the menopause, you start to get changes, hormonal changes, which leads to things like vaginal atrophy, which can actually make that speculum examination extremely uncomfortable, if not difficult to do, and painful for some women. And we felt that that would be an even more important barrier as women got older, that the speculum would become more of an important barrier to actually coming for their cervical screening. There's lots of other reasons why women don't come. So we know that there's also things around practical barriers like difficulty getting screening appointments and perceptions of low risk of um, cervical cancer. Um, But the speculum really is the key barrier that we know is a reason why lots of women don't come. So you also asked about self-sample. So self-sampling is when a woman can actually take um, their own sample for cervical screening just using a little swab or a brush. Now, this is something that's relatively new. um, And one of the most exciting things about it is it completely changes how um, cervical screening is done, that a woman could actually take her own cervical screening test um, and also then thereby also skipping uh, the speculum examination and therefore it might become a lot more acceptable for women to do. Uh, The reason why we went about doing this study was because one of the things that we know about self-sampling is though though we know that a lot of women like it, we also know that it's not something that all women will want to do. And what we need to achieve really is to get as many women as possible screened because we know that's what protects them from developing cervical cancer. And we wanted to try out this new thing. Um, I've probably done this in slightly the wrong order, but... um, The other thing that we know about self-sampling consistently throughout all the studies reported is that women actually worry, some women worry about not taking that sample correctly. So there's going to be this, um, you're going to have a group of women who want to do self-sampling, they're not coming for screening, they want to do self-sampling, great. But then there's also going to be this other population of women who aren't coming for screening either, but they don't want to take a self-sample. Now, one thing that hasn't been tried before is what what we've done in the study is actually having a doctor or nurse take a sample for cervical screening using a swab or a brush, um, but without the speculum. So that's an alternative that hasn't been tried before and something we thought could be appealed to quite a lot of women, particularly to women, older women who probably have been screened before, might have found it more uncomfortable as they've gotten older and then just dropped off screening because they've started to find that speculum is quite difficult for them. Yeah, that's a really ideal introduction there because I, I guess... The, the the problems with speculum examination are kind of understandable, um, but I guess a lot of us wouldn't necessarily think that the self sampling was going to be difficult. But in fact, it's already been shown that, as you described there, a lot of women are 
concerned that they're doing it properly and that creates anxiety around their use. So this was a bit, this is a bit of the halfway house, if you like. It's a similar technique to the self-sampling, but obviously being done by a healthcare professional in the practice setting. And my understanding is, obviously, it's a pragmatic randomized controlled trial, and you've targeted women who weren't attending and who haven't attended for their screening. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more quickly about the methodology, but then I think we'd be really interested to get onto the results. So what we did was we conducted a randomized controlled trial in primary care, um, which offered uh, women who were lapsed attenders to screening, so women who have actually been screened before. Um, and one of the key reasons why we chose that is because if you're, by the time you're 50 and if you've never come for screening, probably not going to come uh, for, you know, even no matter what we offer you. So we thought that lapsed attender population would be a really good one to go for. And so we randomised women aged 50 to 64 who are at least one year over screening, overdue their screening, but they have attended um, at least once in the last 15 years. And we randomised them to uh, receive either an intervention, one-to-one intervention or control. And in the intervention arm, what they got was they got a letter in the post which actually invited them to either book in for an appointment to get a non, what we call a non-speculum clinician-taken sample um, or to order a self-sampling kit so they could order a kit that they could do something at home if they wanted to. And then, of course, they could still book in for their um, usual, normal, conventional screening if they wanted to. And in the control line, we did nothing. We just let them have usually their usual care. Yeah. So um, obviously randomised on each side. Tell, let's go on to the results because I think that's where we need to get to now so we can then start talking a little bit about the implications for practice as well. What did you find? So what we found is what we looked at screening uptake at four months and 12 months post-randomization. And I think... What's really marked is that we saw a 17% higher uptake of screening in the intervention arm compared to the control arm. And that's actually a really big difference, um, particularly for a UK self-sampling study. So there's lots of self-sampling studies that have been done internationally. And what we've traditionally have seen is slightly lower uptake than what we've seen with other studies. So although this isn't strictly speaking just a a self-sampling study, you know, you're sort of in the same population there and you're really expecting to see really similar results. And 17% increase in um, uptake from intervention to control is really quite a a big increase that we've seen. So to compare to other studies, we've seen something like a 6% increase um, with other self-sampling studies in the UK. Yeah. Um, and it's probably worth emphasising those numbers because, say, that was a difference at 12 months, wasn't it? The absolute that's difference. Right. Um, but going from 13.6 up to 30.5. So that's, you know, more or less two and a half times increase. And because the numbers are so low, and particularly you notice this at four months as well, where the uptake at four months was only 4.9% in the control group and was up at over 20%, 20.4% in the um intervention arm and so you know that's like you know four times greater at that point and obviously it you know that more importantly at 12 months you saw this difference all the way up to um 30 percent so really quite marked improvement yes i totally agree and i think one of the nice things about the study is is, is, in terms of having a randomized control trial is what we saw in terms of uptake of conventional screening and control arm was that it was completely matched what we saw in terms of uptake of conventional screening in the um, in the intervention arm. And the other thing that's nice about this is that if you look, just by looking at uh, uptake at four months and 12 months, what you're really showing is that it's not just that that you've seen an, up, an increase in uptake in the women who were going to come anyway. What you've seen, and you see a really good separation there at 12 months, a sustained separation in the uptake of screening at women at 12 months. And I think that really shows that that's a nice, the big effect and that it's a nice sustained effect that's a real, really indicating to us that it's a true effect of increase in uptake. It's not just a study... Um, artifact, you could say. 
Yeah, you're not just shifting people over from the speculum That's approach right. to the non-speculum professional doing it. Is that this is this this looks like it's women who wouldn't otherwise have been screened? That's right. And a couple of other things to do with the study is that, that we we did this in GP practices in East London, and we know that at the time they actually had um, quite poor access to screening appointments. So you might imagine that if you take that out and if you go to different populations and you know different GP practices, you might actually see the uptake's even higher. Um, the other thing that we had that was quite nice about the study is we had a really ethnically diverse population. And that's so we've got something like 40% of our participants were actually from non-white backgrounds. Um, and, and really for screening, what we're always trying to do is address your, our inequalities. That's such a big thing on the agenda at the moment, public health agenda. But um, and what we also know is that screening uptake tends to be lower in women from ethnically diverse backgrounds. And so it's nice to see that we saw the increase in uptake that we did see was across all ethnicities. Yeah, I wanted to really, I was just going to mention that, Anita, because I think that's a really important point here with this RCT that, and it's so often the case that studies for whatever reason and trials, they don't look sufficiently well at um, ethnic diversity. And that's certainly not something that can be um, leveled at this study. And as you say, shown a nice effect, so likely to be addressing inequalities. It's really good. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit more about what you think the main, this looks like highly promising, but what do you think the main implications then are for, for, for practice here now? I think to me what some of the key implications here are is that one of the nice things is that self-sampling is coming into the national screening programmes in the UK and in many countries. I think that's a no-brainer. We know that that's happening. Now, non-speculum clinician sampling can have a real role in this because what we've shown in our study is that there's get a marked increase in uptake when you offer both together and you're offering a choice. So, and another nice thing about that is that, so it sort of seems like the synergistic thing to offer a choice and to offer both. Now, the other nice thing about it is that non-speculum clinician sampling, that's really something I think can be so easily integrated into existing clinical practice. And because of self-sampling and all the really robust evidence that we're starting to see around the clinical effectiveness of self-sampling, you can quite confidently say that we might almost um, see non-speculum sampling just come into practice a bit quicker than what we saw with self-sampling, for example. So to me, it's something that could be implemented quite quickly and could really jump over because of where self-sampling's at, because it's not really different, hugely different from self-sample technically and what you might do in the laboratory. Uh, another thing is, is that we looked at this in really specifically an older woman population, and something we didn't quite touch on earlier, but basically there were concerns and there are concerns around women uh, cervical cancer in older women um, because we've seen the rates that they, they account for a disproportionately high mortality rate of all the cervical cancer deaths that we have. Now, um, but I think that this non-speculum clinician approach could be taken across the whole screening um, age group so it could appeal to all women. And I think that that's really important that we could really look at that for all women. So that would fit in really nicely. And also for our study, like this is something that... Uh, fit into clinical practice now in, in the sense that it's not something that requires any special training or equipment that it could really be coming in quite um, soon and easily. You've described that really well and I think it looks like a really important measure. What, what do we think, what, anything else you think we need to know before, in terms of further research that could develop this? But it, I mean it looks like it's kind of almost poised and ready to go and it could be something to be considered right immediately. Any particular, any cautions around that? I think we definitely need to see um, validation of the actual test performance. Um, and that's really an implementation thing that you want to have, although you wouldn't really expect it to perform any differently from self-sampling because there's not really much difference in how you're taking that sample. If anything, you might expect that the 
performance might be better than self-sampling because you've got a clinician who actually can get really, um, perhaps they're going to take a better sample. Um, but uh, we do need validation around that. So we wouldn't want that uh, the test performance to be validated in larger studies before we rolled it out clinically. The other thing would be really just looking, um, getting a bit more data as always. You just always want a little bit more data about what's that uptake really look like in a bigger study and in a more generalizable population because obviously this study was done in East London, um, very particular population in terms of like the setting and that might, so we might get a big variation across settings. So it'd be always useful to do that and to look a bit more closely at what it means to offer a choice and also understanding what um, resource implications and workload implications there will be of trying to integrate something like this, like and probably looking at cost effectiveness. Anita, that all that's entirely fair. And I think that, you know, really important points you're making there. But it's a really um, it's a really impressive study and a really um, important set of findings as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.